Welcome back to the Cycling Tips Nerd Alert podcast. I'm Dave Rome, filling in this week for James Wong, who has escaped into the mountains in search of Bigfoot. Meanwhile, your other podcast regulars, Kaylee and Zach, have also escaped into the wilderness, likely to give James a hand with carrying the ropes and scopes. And with that, I thought it was high time we had an episode with just nerds from outside the USA. The leading edge tip to the Cycling Tips Tech Triangle. Welcome back to the podcast, Ronan McLaughlin. Thank you. Good to be back. It's been a while since I was on the uh, Nerd Alert podcast. I've kind of become more of a, a regular on the regular podcast. Yes. Yeah, it's a, it's a time zone thing. Yeah, time zones kind of suck, don't they? They really do. Yeah. Strangely, uh, getting the UK, the USA and Australia on a podcast together is more challenging than it should be. And uh, one of us ends up sounding weary by doing so. <laughs> even, even though I think we're at like opposite ends of our day, you're just up and I'm just about to head to bed. Yes. Yeah, exactly. So, but we made it happen. It just means James isn't here. So, mm-hmm. uh, yeah, well, in today's episode, we'll be covering new headset bearings that apparently can't be killed, some fresh industry news, and a few new things you can expect to see on Zwift. Ron and I will chat about a few of our favorite products from the year, and then we'll wrap up the episode by talking about where, what we're currently testing and perhaps working on as the new year approaches. And before we get started, I just wanted to do a quick clarification from the last group episode. Uh, In that, we suggested Chris King was the only American consumer product bicycle company to have B Corp status. Uh, But QBP, Quality Bicycle Products, the very large distributor who have in-house brands such as Surly, Salsa, All City, uh, they're also on the list. Uh, Chris King remains the only US-based manufacturer. Should we dive into the news? Yeah, let's go for it. All right. So this is something Ronan's just finished writing as we're, as we're currently recording. Uh, but yeah, basically Ceramic Speed are getting into, well, they've always been into, they've been into headset bearings for a long time, but Ceramic Speed have a new headset bearing. Uh, what can you tell us about that? They do. And it sort of builds on the solid lubrication technology, SLT bearings that they launched back at Eurobike 2018. Uh, and basically what they're saying is that this is a headset bearing that is almost, uh, yeah, as you said, can't, can't be killed. Uh, it's, it sort of leans on technology that's been around since I think the 70s it was first patented. Uh, it's used quite a lot in the food industry where you know machinery that has to be washed quite often. And, and basically what they've done is, you know, rather than having a, a standard cartridge bearing with grease, what they've, what they've done is they've in, enclosed or encased the the ball bearings within this new SLT bearing inside, uh, yeah, a polymer infused oil infused plastic polymer. I think is the way it's uh, properly described. Mm-hmm. Uh, and basically, what that does is it it fills the the cavity between the ball bearing and the the wrist. And and you know it it first of all it you know completely encloses the the bearing. And then secondly, it acts as sort of a a second uh, seal. So not only can theoretically no dirt or contaminants get uh, at the bearing, but there isn't even any space for them to sit inside should they should they penetrate the, the first bearing. So yeah, what yeah. ceramic speed are saying is that uh, the sort of microscopic pores within this plastic polymer uh, allows that oil, which is infused into it, to, to sort of self-lubricate the, the bearings throughout their lifetime. Uh, and combined with that sort of enclosed nature means that yeah these things just can't break down apparently uh so much Mm. so that yeah they've they've said that they require zero maintenance uh at least in terms of traditional headset bearing maintenance where you would you know have to grease it uh uh, every so often uh what ceramic speeder saying is this new one requires uh no maintenance and still has their lifetime warranty uh which yeah yeah to me uh when i first heard about it, it sort of reminded me of the old Nokia 5210 or 6210, I think, where I think Nokia, I don't think it's official, but they, they stopped making those phones because they couldn't be broken. If you can't break the phone, they mm. can't sell you a new one. Uh, it seems mm. like Ceramic Speed could uh, perhaps shoot themselves in the foot here if we no longer need to buy headset bearings in the future. <laughs> <laughs> that, those phones were the ones seen on the, the, the belt holders of tradies all over the world for five years too late into, yeah. into as the technology had moved on. I'm sure there's still a few people rocking them. 
it's probably still yeah i think we're being um, a little or i'm being a little bit optimistic there but you know it's uh certainly some bold claims that ceramic speed are making here um yeah and and the sort of you know the 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 major benefit that they're touting is that with more and more uh, manufacturers turning to internal cable routing uh that you know the the real pain in the beep that that can be if you need to change a headset bearing um this new slt bearing could sort of eradicate that problem if you no longer need to change the bearings like a permanent bearing almost for the frame and uh factor bicycles are using it yeah I factor believe, uh, have it's sort of a very quiet rollout which i find sort of surprising you know such a such a you know a shift in and and technology therefore headset bearings you think they would have been shouting about it from the rooftops but apparently not mm-hmm. and apparently factor have been shipping all their bikes with this new slt bearing since august in fact um, wow. okay. and from what ceramic speed have told us a number of teams at the tour de france are using the SLT bearings. Um, teams used to change headset bearings on every rest day, which, you know, if again, if they're using the same internal cable routing systems would be a bit of a pain. Uh, and mm. now they no longer need to do that. But of course, not sponsored correct. So they, they wouldn't actually give me the names of these teams. So I can't go and yeah, check right. it or I can't back it up. But <laughs> <laughs> I find that surprising that they'd change the headset bearings of uh, so often but i guess they are power washing bikes every day so that that was my sort of thoughts I, st- I still found it a bit surprising they would yeah you know have to change them twice in in three weeks but who knows and presumably if they're doing that they're changing them right before the tour also so that's three headsets in three weeks yeah interesting interesting so yeah i guess i guess yeah the the one thing um that this bearing doesn't seem to solve is that the i guess the outside of the bearing the the grease between the the frame cup and the the bearing itself will still need some sort of maintenance um inevitably that's going to get gritty and perhaps you know a, a space to trap moisture and and get some a bit of rust forming so but yeah i guess in many cases um a lot of these frames even with internal cable routing you can kind of access the bearing enough to clean and 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 grease the outside of the bearing at least without having to cut hoses and that type of stuff yeah, I'm sure there there perhaps is a couple that maybe are just too tight when the hose is at their exact length. But uh, with with any frames I've worked with personally, you you would have just about enough movement to to get uh, to get in there and give it a, a clean out. But yeah, it's it's kind of it solves one part of the internal cable routing problem. I'm still not sure if James would be convinced, but <laughs> there's a couple of other issues as well. Yeah, it's it's one step to being slightly less terrible for mechanics. Mm-hmm. And yep. you know, let's let's face it: internal cable routing is here to stay, uh, at least for the foreseeable future. So, um, as as frames get more and more aero, you know, it's not going to go away anytime soon. So, if this takes away one part of the headache, then uh, I'm all for it. Don't we? Yeah, nice. And and no doubt, like uh, both Enduro and Cane Creek have both experimented with similar sort of uh, filled polymer bearings. So. But neither of them done headsets yet. That's correct. Neither of them have done headsets, and I believe at least Enduro have said that uh, because of the angular contact bearing that you would use, it it it, it just wasn't possible for a headset. Um, while Ceramic Speed told me it it's not currently possible for bottom brackets and and hub bearings, which are sort of conflicting uh, reports there. Um, yeah. But uh, I think part of that might be to do with the fact that you know Ceramic Speed is all about either. Well, not even either. The Tronic speed's all about, you know, decreased drivetrain friction, uh, or at least traditionally has been. Uh, and the the SLT bearing will introduce increased friction. Uh, now, in a headset, I guess that doesn't really matter unless, you know, it was some crazy amount, but it's apparently it's not. But if you're looking for a ceramic speed bottom bracket or a ceramic speed um, bearing upgrade for your hubs, you, you don't want to be adding any yeah. friction there. The, the reason you would be choosing no. that, I guess, is because you want decreased friction. So a I presume that's probably why ceramic speed don't want to go down the the yeah. uh, bottom bracket route. Yeah, no, that makes sense. Uh, yeah, certainly when Cane Creek came out with their Hellbender bottom bracket with some big durability claims, that was that was one of the questions on my mind. Which is, you know, surely this will have increased friction. And at the time, it wasn't something they'd tested, um, but they they did admit that it was definitely going to be slower. So, um, all right, should we move on to a bit of industry news? Sure thing. 
So yeah, this uh, this week uh, some news came out that Felt Bicycles is once again on the move. Uh, they were previously sold to Rosignol back in 2017, and now they're on the move to Austrian uh, Piera Mobility. Uh, and basically, that that company they're best known as the parent company to KTM Motorcycles, which very confusingly is uh, not to be confused with KTM Bicycles, which is a separate entity and a competitor to Piera Mobility. Uh, Rome, what do you what do you think of this? Felt Bicycles to a company that seem devoted to e-bikes and motorbikes. So let me just clarify that one second there. Pierre Mobility, who already have a um, presence in the e-bike market and own KTM Moto brand, has just bought Felt Bicycles, but doesn't own KTM Push Bicycles. Correct. Yeah. Well, yes, they I have. Guess. They have Hus- Husqvarna and Gas Gas, and there's one other that uh, eludes my mind, which I don't see in Australia. Uh, but yeah, they've got three e-bike brands, and they're they're selling. Decent numbers of them. They've recently launched into the US with Husqvarna um, e-bikes. That's a fun word. Yes, it is. Um, they they uh yeah they've been selling them through their motorcycle dealerships, I believe. The e-bikes. Um, personally, I, I know more know Husqvarna for its um, gardening tools, but uh, I think that's also a separate company. Um, I'm going off track. So yes, what do you what do you think for felt bicycles? Uh, it's interesting move. Uh, it is, yeah. I sort of, you know, I'm not sure what it means for Felt. With the in the article you wrote about this, you had said that you know they don't currently have an e-bike offering. Uh, I would expect that to change. Um, they they it, have had one, but they they don't currently. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, but what it means for their sort of road bike lineup? Um, yeah, I guess you could look at it either way. Either the the uh, parent company who already has three e-bike brands might want to have a fourth or they might say we've got three e-bike brands and this is now a you know performance bicycle uh brand that that they have that they've just acquired so yeah i think yeah. um perhaps the 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 fact that they're not linked to the ktm road bike design team might be a positive thing for felt fans <laughs> <laughs> but um apart from that i'm sort of more interested in what you know we've heard of a lot of uh bicycle brands changing hands recently and you know what what that sort of means for for the wider wider industry and sort of you know almost it's almost as if like the bike industry is booming at the moment or bike sales are, are something, booming something <laughs> like that yeah yeah i might yeah. even go as far as to say that you know these big multinational uh companies now realize that people kind of like bikes uh, and they want to sell bikes to those people mm. in return for money well, for me, it's it's interesting because uh, this group, Piero Mobility, they they obviously come from the motorbike world, um, and they're very, um, I wouldn't say they're dominant, but they're they're very strong within the motorcycle world, and uh, they're obviously now diversifying into e-bikes because they're seeing that as a significant growth category, and I'd say there's some other examples like Pon Holdings are actually the Volkswagen distributor for the Netherlands, which is where they made most of their money. Uh, and now they're the, basically the largest bicycle company in the world because they've acquired um, the Cannondale Sports Group recently, Doral Sports. Uh, and on top of that, they've also got um, Cervelo, they've got Santa Cruz, they've got um, a bunch of e-bike brands, uh, Focus. The list goes on. They've got a very, very extensive list of brands. And and for me, this is just another example of... Um, scale trying to trying to win over so i think it's i think it's quite interesting but i think if you look at pond holdings they um they've kind of come out with uh with their most recent acquisition and said their goal is to be the the market leader for e-bikes and they believe their sales are like i think the figure was something like 70 percent of the units sold are e-bikes for them or their goal is to have 70 percent e-bikes and that's when you've got brands, despite having brands like I just mentioned, Cannondale, Cervelo, Focus, um, Santa Cruz. So, you know, those aren't necessarily brands known for their e-bikes. Um, and I think for Pierre Mobility, it might, it might actually, the fact that Pond Holdings is still doing performance bikes and investing in the sport outside of e-bikes might actually be positive for, for felt bicycles because there's sort of that, that precedent there that you can... You can be in cycling and not be, uh, yeah, not be all in on the e-bikes. You can kind of be a bit diversified. Of, of course, Pond, they 
if they also have the sort of more e-bike specialist brands like Gazelle and Kalkoff and yeah, exactly. Cycle, yeah. e- Urban Arrow even, is that under Pond Holdings? So, uh, yep. so you know, that, that just shows that, that that model where you can, you know, you can have both um, certainly seems to certainly seems to work for them. And, and Pond are actually even, uh, if, my ser- if my memory serves me right now, you're sort of looking at even at e-bike leasing in that in, in the Netherlands to try and, or is it in Germany or the Netherlands? I can't quite remember now, but yeah, they're, they're certainly going down that path as well. And um, from figures we've seen last year of e-bike sales when the, you know, the first wave of the pandemic hit, uh, you know, it was one of the biggest growth sectors uh, in the, or it is the biggest growth sector in the industry. So I guess no surprise that these major players are, are sort of looking to expand. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah. So for felt bicycles, uh, Piero Mobility's come and come out and said this is about a USA expansion. It gives them a foothold into the US market. Uh, it'll be interesting to see what happens. Uh, bicycle retail and industry news, our, our sister site to us, um, they've speculated that uh, perhaps Husqvarna e-bikes might stay as sort of like the motorcycle dealership brand and then felt bicycles will be their their avenue into the traditional cycling market um sold through traditional bicycle stores and that type of stuff so yeah it'll be interesting um currently yeah the the exist pre-existing felt bicycle staff have been carried over and uh yeah there's there's been i guess they've come out and said it's uh it's an even better fit for them as a company uh whereas the previous owner was uh, obviously it's a ski company that uh was trying to learn bicycles, um, whereas these guys, uh, Piero Mobility, I guess they already have some experience with selling bicycles. So, yeah, we'll uh, watch the space. I guess it could be a good return for Fell Bicycles. We could see them come back to the back to the front of being a you know truly strong brand again. In other industry news, uh, Rafa's CEO, uh, founder Simon Mottram, has uh, stepped down. He's he's sticking around. He's gonna continue being the founder of Rafa. He's gonna be, I guess, the occasional face for Rafa. He's gonna stay on the board, but uh, yeah, he is being replaced. Yeah, uh, William Kim, isn't it? Who is uh, coming in as, as CEO now? But yeah, for Simon Mottram, you know, uh, set up the brand in two thousand and four in in London, and has you know uh, overseen its growth into. Uh, yeah, one of the biggest players in the cycle clothing industry, I think, and sort of also widely credited with changing the sort of how would you say uh, style of of cycle clothing in in that time, and yeah. and um, yeah, you know, also had some you know a major impact in even how you know teams can even advertise themselves, and 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 some of the work that goes on behind the scenes with with the teams, and of course, EF gone racing is you know it, I think that was sort of. The, the most recent uh, thing we've seen from from Rafa, but you know, was was part of that when Rafa said they wanted to get back into World Tour cycling. That was you know they, they wanted to do it in that way, and um, you know that, that that's not something that we would have seen you know in, in any way before Rafa came onto the scene, and and uh, you know not not everybody who wears Rafa will have heard of Simon Mottram, but I think he has made you know made a huge impact uh on the sport and in his time. And not surprised to hear that he's gonna be sticking around as well. I'm sure um Rafa were probably keen to keep him there and he was probably keen to to stick around as well to um yeah, I guess it's probably his his baby as such. And yeah, it'd be yes. uh, it'd be hard to completely cut off. But I'm sure as yeah. he said in his in, in his uh, email, he's gonna be enjoying a bit more time on his bike. Yeah. So yeah. So William Kim comes in. Uh, he's got quite an impressive resume, I have to say. He's uh, ha- held roles at Gucci and Burberry and Abercrombie and Finch, which I guess I can add, you can add Rafa to that list now. And uh, and then yeah, I guess most recently he was the global retail and digital. Uh, sorry, vice president of global retail and digital commerce at Samsung Mobile. Uh, so yeah, suddenly a uh, I'd say a heavy hitter. Mm-hmm. Uh, as far as a hire goes and uh a few brands yeah. there that might sort of um let's let's say worry the, the rafa fan um in terms of pricing and then others in terms of styling and that and uh, i'm sure a few will be hoping that rafa don't don't follow suit but yeah those are you know major brands that have a long history and uh they were certainly um pricey items before i'm sure before he came along so It'll be interesting to see what sort of an approach he takes with Rafa and how, how he shapes uh, the company going forward. 
Yeah. I mean, Rafa for, for a long time now has been trying to, I guess, surpass the cycling market with the brand, like bring cycling to the masses as a, almost as a, a fashion label in a sense that, you know, a label that non-cyclists would be happy to wear is is probably the, the best way to summarize where they've been trying to go. Uh, sort of what um, Lululemon has achieved, you know, started off and they, they I guess they made their mark in, in yoga, but now they're, you know, they're now one of the leading fashion brands in, at least in the US market. Um, I saw a, a, a survey recently that it's it's basically one of the top two brands amongst teens within the USA at the moment. So it's, uh, yeah, so I think Rafa is probably looking to that kind of market and it'll be interesting to see what changes as a result of that. Mm, we, ha- we have seen, you know, some items in the past year or so that sort of, you know, indicated what they were targeting there. But, you know, I, I'm not sure if that's working yet. Uh, I would probably lean on the side of it's not based on I've never heard my wife asking or looking for Rafa items just yet, but perhaps that'll change. Yeah. Oh, well, another space to watch. Uh, yeah, I guess moving on, you've uh, recently been covering a bit of what's happening on Zwift. Yeah, good old good old uh, Zwift has updated its indoor uh, worlds for just in time for, for indoor training season again, just as you know the cold, dark nights are setting in here in the Northern Hemisphere. I've got a whole new world on Swift to check it. Well, not really a whole new world. You know, they, they launched the Mercury Islands world uh, back in May of this year. And now they've expanded that map with the Neokio uh, city map, uh, which it, it adds 21 kilometers of new roads to the Mercury Islands map and introduces eight new, new routes or so. Now, I've only sort of uh, taken a couple of spins through it so far. I'm... Not a big one for paying close attention to the scenery in Zwift. It's uh, it's all about the suffering for me. It's just you know, it, it's suffering's the only reason. <laughs> it's it's not that you're distracted singing a whole new world from Aladdin. Mm, have you got a? Did I leave my webcam on? <laughs> <laughs> no, um, I've been uh, sort of reviewing a few trainers recently, so I've been sort of paying close attention to to what's been going on with them. So I've ticked off a couple of new root badges, but. Uh, you know, it's it is it is you know it, it is nice to see an expansion there. You've got a few new routes to to select. The Mercury Islands world, of course, is on loop with the other guest worlds, so it's not there every time you jump onto Zwift. Um, but certainly once or twice now, it it has popped up. I've taken a tour through it, and the one thing I would say is it's kind of um, you have to really you know go in and and make sure you're picking one of the new loops to, to get into the Neokio city. You could very easily jump into Mercury Islands and pick one of the uh, Umezi maps uh, or routes that would take you into the countryside. Whereas the new map is very, it, it, it contrasts the countryside in that it is, you know, it is an urban environment. Uh, it's, you know, nighttime city streets, uh, sort of hustle and bustle of, of, a, of a city center. Whereas that original Mercury Islands uh, map was much more countryside based and, and daytime and that. So two very differing uh, locations within that new sort of Japanese inspired world on Zwift. Yeah, cool. Okay. And you got a bit of a, a look into the, the development pipeline. Is there anything else coming out that you think is interesting or is it uh, all out in the open now? Uh, so the, the, about a month ago now, they sort of teased you know what what's to come for the next uh three or four months the the sort of traditional indoor training season in the northern hemisphere uh and you know top of that list was sort of this new uh map expansion for the mercury islands but on top of that they're planning to roll out a, a new home screen uh their home screen on zwift was never really uh all all that great to be honest it was, yeah. it was one of the big frustrations i had with zwift that it was just so clunky and you know, there was a time where you had to exit the game almost, or exit the 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 yeah, exit the game, I guess, uh, and start again if you wanted to change routes or change workouts and things. They've improved that sort of functionality over the past couple of years, but what they you know what they still didn't have, and what sites like Zwift Hub provided instead were much more detailed sort of descriptions of of what each route that you could select uh, entailed how much climbing it had how much uh, what the distance was what the lead-in distance to the to the route was it was just you know the the likes as as Zwift Hub just provided that in much greater detail it was all there on Zwift it was just 
very clunky to try and get whereas they are going to roll out a new home screen in the coming months uh which um yeah that that's something to be look forward to and then on top of that they're they're promising their sort of long-awaited clubs feature uh will will be live within the next few months as well now that's sort of something we've been hearing about for a couple of years now at this stage i think um but but i, I think it's sort of a it's a it's a move from Zwift, yes, to set up clubs in that, which is a feature that a lot of Zwifters are are you know looking looking for. Uh, but it it sort of helps Zwift as well in that it puts event organization into the hands of the the clubs, uh, or at least theoretically that's what that's what it will do eventually, uh, which will hopefully for them free up their their staff. And you know we we know since again since the pandemic hit that Zwift has just been sort of inundated with new users and uh we hear you know over and over again about peak Zwift numbers and you know, i think 35 40 000 Zwifters at, at a time on on the virtual world there so they certainly uh would would welcome the extra hand i think with with organizing events and uh group hmm. rides and that so i guess yeah, i think right. that's a sort of a a, a two a, a double-headed double-headed thing yes yes users will enjoy the clubs feature but it also helps out swift themselves yeah for sure yeah all right well features to keep an eye out for uh all right let's move away from the news let's uh we coming to award the end of the year which means it's time for our most loved products of the year uh i've published mine ronan you've published yours uh so it's our 10 favorite products of the year or from years prior that we're still using today mm-hmm. uh Anything that didn't make the list, anything that was on the short list that just missed out to your selection, such as books and Roubaix. No, Flanders, <laughs> sorry. <laughs> Flanders, yes. Um, your most loved products, Flanders. Well, funny, <laughs> Flanders <laughs> Tourism are going to be delighted with me. <laughs> that is the world's paid for right there. <laughs> but yeah. uh, funny story, actually, this time last year we had to do this. It was just a month or two into my cycling tips uh uh, career i guess or, or whatever you want to call it and yeah i kind of struggled at the time to get 10 products because i was so new to it so i thought i'm going to make a list and i'm going to add products i love throughout the year to this list and next year will be easy i opened that list about two weeks ago and there was two things on it and both those things didn't make the list i think <laughs> so, <laughs> so but yeah i was uh there there were there were certainly a few things that um I had started writing about I thought they were going to make a list and then they were sort of superseded by 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 all our by all our items I think uh, my new DeWalt cordless uh, drill you'll probably like that I don't know that the, I would need to yeah check out the technical name for it or the exact model name in that but yeah that's that, that was that was one for you that nearly made the list but oh, I'm nice. so useless with it I couldn't really put it on there um and yeah a couple of a couple of bikes that a real close one for me was the the giant tcr i used for the everesting and uh, nearly made the list but yeah and in, in the end up not not because i didn't love the bike but because i used it so little i kind of thought yeah i can't can't really put it on for something for the whole year yeah fair enough and i, I think your your mention of how difficult it actually is to get to 10 products is quite funny because it's something i actually just wrote about for the velo club newsletter that that goes out to our members um in that because these are kind of our favorite products and they're not necessarily just our favorite products that we tested this year it's our favorite products that we used this year uh i'm forever having to go over previous additions from we've d- done these since 2016 and and just make sure i'm not overlapping with these products and every year it gets harder because uh i'm still there using a lot of the products yeah even dating back to 2016 i'm still using a lot of those products because they're amazing and that's why they made the list in the first place so it's uh it's becoming a struggle to be honest uh year on year so um that said that said i still had a few products left over that uh didn't quite make the cut for me um, partly I left them off out of fear of people thinking I'd become an alcoholic through lockdown, <laughs> which may or may not be the case, but, um, yeah. So, I mean, like to, to give you an idea, I typically only do online shopping and buy tools once I've had a beverage or two, um, is, is 10 to when I buy tools and I follow anyone, your Instagram, David, for anyone that. following at home, <laughs> I buy a lot of tools um take some out what you will you do the math um 
Yeah, so some of the lists, this will obviously make more sense if you've seen the products on our top 10 lists, but uh, some of the ones that missed mine were um, my Stanley hip flask. So I actually uh, gave that a pretty good workout during the most recent Sydney lockdown, which went for three months, where um, cycling or exercise was kind of the only way you could socialize. You could only see other people from outside of your household if you were exercising. Um, so I would often escape on a gravel bike into the bush with my, with my hip flask and, and have, and have social drinks on a rock somewhere. I thought you were going to um, say it was for the, the few times that you did your tools shopping offline and you brought it to the no, store. <laughs> no, no. So, um, yeah, this is, uh, there's just water in the hip flask for those concerned, but, um, about the drinking riding, but, uh, yeah, that's, uh, definitely a, a good product. It's it's small, it's compact, it fits wonderfully in a, any of your trendy gravel bags or even in a, a jersey pocket. And yeah, it's a cool little product. So um, Quadlock also made my shortlist, but not the top 10, um, mainly because I don't actually use it enough, kind of like your your TCR. Uh, I, I've really been loving Quadlock for the the very occasional times I get on Zwift. It's it is very occasional, but I'll I'll then attach a Quadlock to my bike and then I can mount my phone and basically run Zwift off that while watching while watching Netflix or similar. Because um, I don't like to have Zwift taking up my whole screen and be the only thing I have to watch. So um, I like to more use it as a a means of controlling the trainer as a as a rather than controlling my mind. Um, so yeah, so Quadlock made the list um, and I've just, I've kind of been enjoying having the case on my phone all the time because then when I'm, uh, I guess working, I've got like a tripod mount, which I can mount my phone to a tripod and I can switch it to a bike mount or I can clip it into a car. It's just, it's a pretty cool system and I've, I've been pretty impressed with how, I guess, simple and durable everything is. Uh, so yeah, um, I've become a fan of that. Uh, Fever Tree Tonic Water has met was on on my list um, for for obvious reasons. Um, it it goes well with other things, um, mixes you desire. Um, yeah, I, I you know if you if you're spending so much on on good good gins, uh, I would say don't waste it with low quality tonic water. What is so, it? They say it's three quarters. Oh no, it's not Fever Tree. It's it's Schweppes. Let's say it's three quarters of your drink is the mixer. I think that actually is a fever tree slogan. Oh, right. Yeah. Yeah. So, but uh, yeah, so there's lots of good quality um, tonics out there, but yeah, I've, I was quite enjoying that as a post-ride beverage during uh, I, this past year. I'm actually kicking myself now because I really could have had tonic water on my top 10 list and it probably should have been up there, you know, ahead of a couple, at least one or two of the, the ones that did make a list and not even, you know, just, just tonic water on its own. I've, I, I, I'm 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 convinced it's addictive. So much so much so that my my wife had to buy a 28 pack there a couple of weeks ago, and she was getting some strange looks. Which one are you drinking? Uh, Swaps. Okay, yeah, mm, just by itself it, though. Just by itself. A bit sweeter. Most mm. most of the time. Nice. Not, a, not always by itself. <laughs> and then uh, lastly, was on my short list was a uh, Continental's uh, Terra Trail gravel tires. I've uh, been rolling those in a 40 millimeter size uh, with the Kush cores inside. And yeah, there's just a really, again, kind of like the Terra speeds, the the tread's probably not the most durable of, of gravel tires out there, but the trade-off in that is is you get a, a much nicer grip um, and it, it rolls actually surprisingly well for um, a treaded tire that it is. Uh, but yeah, around here in Sydney trails, we've got a lot of loose sandstone, quite a bit of loose rock. And I've been finding that tire actually really confident around here. So um, yeah, I've, I've been quite impressed with that tire. It's um, yeah. Now it's not probably the tire I'd pick if you're doing 50, 50 split between smooth gravel and, and road. It's certainly more of a, an off road centric gravel tire, but it's a, uh, Certainly, one to pick if you're if you're using your gravel bike for a lot of underbiking. What about the uh, the muddy trails that I tend to have in this part of the world? Uh, it would probably go okay. It's quite an open tread design, so it's probably do okay. I I can't really speak to that because when there's mud, I um I don't go outside. <laughs> hmm. You're going to be on Zwift a lot if you live here. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, no, I my my fear of mud is. 
is real, but it's also um, because of our trails being all sandstone based. If you go out, you're basically riding your bike through grinding paste. So mm-hmm. it's it's an expensive exercise to to ride bikes in our mud. Mm-hmm. Uh, just one thing you mentioned there: the crush course. I've you know seen them mm-hmm. on your list. I know they're coming up on a couple of other lists. I haven't I haven't yet got to try them myself. It's, I feel like mm-hmm. I'm missing out. Yeah, a little bit. Uh, I mean, Kushkor is just, you know, it's a, it's a tire insert. So a lot of other tire inserts will offer similar benefits. Um, Kushkor is probably, I believe, to be the most extreme example where it, it gives the most tire support so you can run the lowest pressure. Um, but the downside to it is is that it's it's heavier and, and arguably more, arguably harder to install, but it's heavier than most other tire inserts. Uh, so yeah, it kind of gives you the... The idea of the tire insert is that it's um, at least a cush core. It's supporting the sidewall of the tire, so you can run really low pressures without fear of sort of burping the tire or or losing that tire stability. Um, at the same time, when you go too low on pressures off road, you risk damaging the rim. So you risk bottoming out the rim and pinching the tire. Uh, the cush core gives a a a solid foam protection to stop that from happening. So if you really smack into it, you kind of feel this foam support you as opposed to feeling a carbon rim crack um which is not a good feeling speaking from experience um and yeah it, it's i've been able to to give you an idea i used to not be able to go below 36 psi in my 40 millimeter gravel tires as soon as i dropped below 36 say i went to 35 psi i'd immediately start feeling the rim hit things and i'd be uh I'd be fearful of uh, pinch flatting the tire um, predominantly. And I always wanted to go lower because even at 36 PSI, the ride can feel quite rough. You kind of feel yourself bouncing around a bit. Uh, With Kushko, I am comfortably at 30 PSI um, and find that that's a really good balance between feeling great on the road and giving me enough comfort off the road. Uh, But yeah, I've been able to go lower than that without any issue. And I know someone like Jeff Kabush, who's a a former mountain bike World Cup uh, racer, still kills it on a bike. Uh, He was saying he's down at about 21 to 22 PSI on his gravel tires. That's into cyclocross sort of territory. Yeah, I mean, he he raced professionally in cyclocross, so he's used to Mm. running 18, 19 PSI in tubulars, but he's... um, Certainly, I'm not used to that such a squirmy feeling. I don't, I don't like to see the, the center of my tire go sideways. Um, but yeah, I mean, you've got these guys that are incredibly fast on a bike that are, are running stupidly low pressures um, and and laughing at all the grip they have. So yeah, there, there's some big benefits to tire liners. And um, James has kind of come out and said it's it's the single best upgrade you can do to a gravel bike and uh i don't disagree Uh, for me the um these tire inserts have changed my opinion of the purpose of gravel bikes um i've i've it's really opened up their potential off-road for me whereas i felt they were a little limited before uh and i had you know i'd wish for a a light cross-country mountain bike when things got rough whereas yeah just this one upgrade has changed that opinion of my of mine you're you're not doing much here for the feeling of missing out. Uh, if anything, you're, you're you're making it worse, to be honest. But <laughs> yeah, need to try it. Um, yeah. So yeah, you don't have to try Kushkor. Um, for me, it's uh, I'm looking forward to trying a, a few others as well. And and James has been trying a bunch of them. I I know that Kushkor I think to date has been his favorite though. So it's a more expensive, heavier option, but uh, it is certainly um, a reliable pick. Hmm. Interesting. All right, I wanted to do something a little bit different, given that's uh, it's just you and I. Uh, so we'll leave the Ask a Mechanic for another week, but uh, I wanted to talk about what we're currently working on, what's coming up uh, as we lead into the new year. What's what's making you lose sleep, Ronan? Uh, what's making me lose sleep? Uh, well, perhaps making me sleep better is the fact that I'm having to spend so much time on indoor trainers at the moment. Uh, oh. Currently working on, uh, well, we, we talked about this in the regular podcast earlier this week. Uh, we talked about uh, a feature I'm, I'm working on looking at the best indoor training setup. So not just the trainer, but, you know, the trainer, table, fan, whatever it might be across a range of different price points. Now, at the time on the regular podcast, I said 
pain caves. Um, apparently that's not a terminology that is used widely or even uh, liked all that much. Uh, so oh. uh, I think oh. we're going to have to rename them. But um, for the meantime, I'm, I'm fully committed to calling them a pain cave. Uh, so yeah, I've been, I've been sort of uh, testing and, and uh, assessing a, a number of different pain cave setups uh, across a range of price points. Uh, no, I've been, I've had some, had some walls along the way, a couple of, uh, uh, a couple of issues with sort of power reading accuracies in that. Um, and also, you know, especially when you're sort of working across a range of different price points, you want to try and, uh, find a similar setup, uh, at, at a range of price points. So, you know, taking on items that maybe look good on paper and then perhaps don't perform quite as well. So the, the feature has expanded a little bit. We're now into uh, testing the efficiency of, uh, or testing the effectiveness of a range of fans, uh, how they differ from, you know, from the, the Wahoo headwind, which I think is the most famous um, dedicated indoor cycling fan to the fan that you can pick up for, I don't know, 10 or 20 of your local currency units um, in in a hardware store or, or whatever, uh, you know, a cheap fan that's a, just about the size of your laptop screen, uh, and seeing if you know how much of a difference that can actually make. And then, you know, so many brands now are coming out with indoor training specific clothing as well, um, ha- having a look at, at that as well. So, really trying to um, find find the best setup and and feeling like this is really a year too late because last year when I was dedicated indoor training, uh, yeah, I was just toughing out with. Uh, a regular setup in, in the kitchen and yeah now i'm not really all that motivated to be on the indoor trainer but i'm doing uh, quite a lot of it <laughs> it's feeling like work <laughs> it really is work yeah yeah i'm, I'm definitely yeah, okay. putting it down as work <laughs> yeah all right oh well thank you for falling on this sword for us i've definitely had worse jobs over that that's safe to say yeah okay how are you testing the fans any any so actually teamed up with actually teamed up with uh, Core uh, the the um, uh, body temperature sensor uh, company out of out of Switzerland uh, and uh, we've developed a protocol for looking at uh, yeah just how much um, looking at the heat flux and looking at how much the or how how quickly and how uh, much the body temperature rises and and if that is uh, affected by different fans and and if the clothing can can affect that as well so really going the property nerdy on it that that is actually far more scientific than i was ever hoping for <laughs> i was just hoping you'd put like a dog in front of it and then measure how much the the ears flapped they're they're well we we don't have a dog we have a cat but their ears are rather rigid so that that test <sighs> that test failed but we did get an assistant here uh we have a, a youngest staff member on cycling tips i think three-year-old uh who brought a range of um beach balls and and plastic uh plastic balls and and yeah set them on top of each fan and yeah, we just measured how, how high they can fly uh, with the force of each fan. So yeah, th- it's probably more scientific than than you know the, th- the temperature and that. But um, yeah, we, we, we like we like to test the, the the fans across a range of applications. Nice. Speaking of the uh, child labor and the youngest cycling tips member, um, balance bikes. Anything? <laughs> I think you have been testing some balance bikes lately. Uh, yes, um, I've I've had I've had a bit of assistance there as well, and um, we've had a, a number of balance bikes in the house for for the past while. Uh, that has now stretched into I think six and a half thousand words on balance bikes. Um, yes, it's it's gone quite in depth. Uh, we've looked at the pros and cons of balance bikes. Uh, I'm a big, I'm a firm believer in balance bikes. I'm, I'm very much pro balance. Um, but there are some, you know, there, there are some naysayers out there. So we've, we've looked at the pros and cons. Uh, also just looked at uh, what to look for if you're buying a balance bike. You know, it's, uh, they, they sort of all seem very similar looking, but there's actually uh, quite a lot of variation between them, even, even in terms of sizing and that. Uh, and the different features that they have and then we've yeah looked at uh, sort of taking a balance bike from sort of each category and 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 yeah to, brought it in for review looked at it and and asked uh, my daughter to pick her favorite of which she did have a very firm favorite uh almost okay. to the point that she almost refused to use any other bike uh, so none of, none of them were tested based on bias 
Uh, Only one of them was tested based on pure aesthetic bias. Uh, she, I, 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 you know, obviously she can't communicate to me exactly why she prefers this one bike, but I, I do have uh, some strong opinions as to as to why it might be. Uh, I, I okay. actually don't think it's anything to do with aesthetics because it's uh, certainly not for for um, the the type of uh, colors and that that the, my daughter would normally choose. It, it doesn't fall into that category at all. Interesting. It's not. It's not carbon, is it? It is carbon. Oh no! Oh no! It, it's 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 very bad Created news a for me. Monster. It's it is very bad news for me in the long term. <laughs> oh, that is fantastic. Uh, mm. When will we see that feature? That feature uh, last week. <laughs> no, oh. it was supposed to be last week, uh, but yeah, it grew a little bit uh, further. And actually, the delay was just. Uh, Getting a day where I could photograph them all with a little bit of sunshine, uh, we're you know we're currently coming into Irish winter, so um, it was it was a struggle to get uh, some good weather to to shoot some some photos of the bikes, but nearly there now. Managed to get that this afternoon, so hopefully it'll good. be up uh, within the next few days. Okay, all right. So maybe even by the time this this uh, episode is published, it might be live. Oh, mm-hmm. keep an eye out for that. Uh, what about for yourself? me, this. This this might come as a surprise to you, but um, I've actually been testing tools. Oh, tell me more. Yeah, yeah. I've um just I thought about doing you know something different for once. So um, right now I have been testing derailleur hanger straightening gauges. Um, which I tested. I think it's now four years ago. I did a feature where I, I compared a, a, a few tools. Uh, I'm basically expanding that test. So I've got uh, seven on hand and yeah, just looking to find the best option for really consumers. There are a few um, pro level tools that uh, haven't made the cut, um, such as uh, efficient Velo um, tools that uh, they have a derailleur hanger gauge, which is 600 US dollars. Uh, that is not in the test. Um, but, uh, yeah, so I think that's, that's going to be, uh, hopefully within the week I'll, I'll wrap that one up. And two, then, two questions immediately spring to yeah, mind. Yeah. Uh, the first one, can the radar hanger tools that are designed to straighten the hanger bend the hanger in the first place? So you can test their efficiency at straightening them again, or how, how do you, how do you go about testing a derailleur hanger tool? This is a very good question. Uh, so I'm mainly testing them on a on a few parameters, but the main, I guess, for me, the most important thing is ease of use and uh, the ability to be accurate because as we move into 12 and 13 speed, there's actually not a lot of tolerance that you have uh, before the, the gears are affected by being out of alignment. So older derailers, eight, nine, ten speed—they're actually quite tol- tolerant of being slightly bent on a bent derailleur hanger. Um, but now you'll actually get quite a lot of cassette noise, even if the if the derailleur's not um, visibly bent. Um, so yeah, the tools accuracy and the accuracy kind of comes down to how much um, how much wiggle there is in the tool once you've got it installed on the frame. Whether the tool itself can sort of um, has any play in it uh, and. That might seem like a simple thing, but there is actually only one tool that I've tested out of the seven. Two tools. There's two tools out of the seven that don't have play in them. Um, And then some have varying degrees, some up to as much as um, four millimeters of measured movement at the, the, I guess, at the rim edge of where you'd use it. Um, And officially Shimano are recommending that you have the derailleur hanger within four millimeters of alignment. Um, you speak to someone like Abbey Bike Tools, they think that four millimeters is actually far too um, relaxed, and that your your shifting will suffer if you're if you're not more accurate than that. Uh, so yeah, so if a tools has four millimeters of play in it, then you in theory can't actually get to the required tolerance. Hmm. Um, well, if I think yeah, about so th- if, if I think about even I've got a twelve speed mechanical group set, and I know that you know compare that to older nine or ten speed group sets and if, if you want to you know adjust the the cable tension just to ch- fine-tune your gears a little bit you've got a right bit of adjustment there before it you know it really goes too far whereas with a 12 speed uh mechanical it's literally it, it's every time i have to say right turn it less than you think you need to and then turn it a bit less and it, it, you know it, it's it's literally quarter turns that can can make a, a huge difference so you know it'll be exactly the same with the hanger i guess if it's a tiny bit out on a 12 speed group set it's going to be it's it's huge difference 
Yeah, and that's why that's why I'm doing this test is traditionally go back a decade and a derailleur hanger straightener was um, kind of considered a shop tool, a workshop tool. It was, it was something that you'd go into a bike shop for. But as our bikes have become so delicate and so, uh, so fine, I actually believe that this tool is something that pretty much most home mechanics should have at their disposal. It's not that hard to use. Uh, it's not that expensive. And all it takes is someone leaning their bike up against yours at a cafe wrongly and you have a useful one. Um, so that's why I'm doing the, the feature. It'll, yeah, it, it's an update on an old feature, but uh, it certainly should find some use amongst people that like to do their own work. Uh, as far as, yeah, ease of use, um, that's just, obviously that's subjective, but it's uh, there are certainly some tools that seem to, while you're using them, lose their adjustment and it's infuriating. Um, and you're having to repeat yourself over and over. Um, or, or there's just a lot of guesswork, um, whereas other tools are, are quite sort of set and forget in their way. As long as you got the the process correct, you, there's sort of no room for error um, through the design. So that, those are two key parts of the of the design um, and of the test. Uh, as for bending derailers, um, yeah, I mean all the tools are, are, are kind of designed to within reason to to bend a hanger straight um, with with care. So some, some frames designs don't really appreciate you doing that, but, uh, yeah, it's, that's part of the, um, yeah, some people might benefit from having a derailleur hanger gauge just to purely check whether it is straight or isn't. And then if it isn't, then maybe take it to a shop to have it done, um, if they're not comfortable, but, uh, but yeah, there is a, the ability to tweak the alignment with these tools. Could be, could be a sort of a, a diagnostics tool then and checking is the hanger the reason that you're having bad shifting? Exactly, exactly. Yeah, My second so. question then was, what is the difference between that, what, you know, with the, the consumer version of a derailleur hanger tool and, and, and what we're looking at with that, was it $600 you said for the, the shop tool? Or you maybe want to keep that for the article, I don't know. No, I think that's that's fine. Um, I mean, this applies to a lot of tools. There's just diminishing returns, but it's... um realistically the the cheapest tool the cheapest derailleur hanger tools will you'll still find used by professional mechanics um sorry maybe professional in air quotes um and <laughs> uh they you know they they'll all do the job it's just some are more accurate than others uh as you go up in price you get more features that allow it to be quicker and more accurate so less less play in the tool and you get sort of like swivel features that let you swivel the the indicator arm um, around chainstays and frame tubes uh, without losing your um, without losing your measurement position. So Abbey Bike Tools does that feature, and then as you go up from there, you've got the Efficient Velo tool, which um, also has that feature, and it's just built like a tank. It's built to bend everything for all time uh, into yeah for for decades to come um it's it's just a tank of a tool that 600 dollar tool um but it's at the same time it's it's honestly it's not something you'll find even many professionals using just because the price is uh it's three times more expensive than a than an abbey bike tools hanger tool so it's um yeah it's it's it sort of fills a a very niche application so what, what about the bikes the the bikes we are the frames you used to get with the carbon hangers any any good for those the, the the hangers that were part of the frame uh um no no <laughs> you're, you're just snookered that won't yeah, bend if, the, the good news is it won't bend it'll just yeah you can break. use it as an uh, as a gauge you can check the alignment um and then if it's not aligned you can use your rubbish bin <laughs> no oh, there are other you, options there yeah you can yeah. make a lamp out of it there's lots of options. Yeah. You can do all sorts of creative things. So, um, you can make, build the rear end into a Turing stand, mm. which will only then fit the rear wheels of that size. So don't do that. Um, <laughs> uh, otherwise, yeah, I'm also been, I've just been working on a few bike reviews. So, uh, I've just wrapped up a, a video shoot with a bossy Strata SS, which is an Australian design bike. Um, it's actually quite cool. I don't know if you've seen this before. It's, um, it's, t it's a titanium lugged frame where the lugs are actually die cast. So if you can imagine a, uh, specialized LA sprint, which has sort of those lugged, um, the lugged head tube that then is welded further down away from the, the, the traditional junction point, it's kind of that, but it's done in titanium. 
Um, and I would sum, I would say it's kind of looks like a, a Cannondale Super 6, but it's titanium. Uh, I'm just trying to pull it up here in front of us here as we're speaking, but um, mm. might have to get you to send so, me a link to it there. Mm. Sounds so, interesting, yeah. though. It is a very interesting bike. So I've been testing that for the last few months. Um, that review is coming, wrapping up. Uh, testing a gravel bike I can't talk about just yet. Uh, and I've also started testing the new BMC Urz LT, which is a 20 mil travel fork on the front, 10 millimeters elastomer on the rear, uh, makes squishy sounds from the fork on the front. Uh, and yeah, um, so that's that's keeping me busy. A hmm. couple, of, couple of bikes on the go then? A few, yeah. First three uh, bikes, actually. Exactly, yeah. And I think a, a chapter two is is inbound for me as well. You're going to have to uh, make a bit more use of that hip flasking. Ah, I think so. I see it in my future. <laughs> any any bike reviews pending for you, Ronan? Um, what bike? Oh, <laughs> that's that's so depressing. <laughs> <laughs> Tell us what you really think. Uh, very good okay so mm. nothing that moves uh, i do also uh have the new panarello dogma f uh, i did do a first look at that bike when it when it came out back in june week before the tour de france uh but yeah i've been riding a bit off and on since uh so sort of trying to build up towards getting a long-term review is yours with shram red on it it does have shram red on it yes so is it the panarello fred <laughs> the Panarello Fred I can neither confirm nor deny if I've turned into a Fred okay alright uh, what I would say is that it does have the SRAM red um, ETAP axis obviously um, mm-hmm. but it also has and sort of a sneak peek into my art and my review on it I guess but I'm slightly disappointed that a bike at that price point uh, we're talking £12,500 sterling here um, mm-hmm. It comes with the DT Swiss Arc, which are great wheels, but DT Swiss Arc 1400s. There is, of course, the 1100s above that with the 180 hubs rather than the 240s. I think a bike at that sort of price point, you know, it, 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 I'm, not, I'm not saying it would make any difference on the road, but it, you don't want to be looking at anything that is not, yeah. you know, the absolute it, top it, of the range. It should be un- unupgradable. Mm, exactly whereas you know you're looking at that you're thinking well there's what 40 grams you could save off it or actually slightly more than that and, and ceramic bearings in your in your hubs versus uh stainless steel so um yeah it's uh seems to me like the wrong uh the the, the wrong wheels on, on that bike even though they look they they match they match the frame quite well and and, and they're a great set of wheels it just seems like panarello have, have opted for the wrong spec of wheel yeah okay interesting yeah i guess uh doesn't uh doesn't pay to pick the higher end model maybe probably not but i'm I'm just looking at it from a consumer's point of view it's yeah yeah at that price point you want top of the range yeah no that's absolutely fair enough i do have one other bike as well i have that new willier rave slr uh mm. with uh the campag e-car uh and i'm absolutely Ooh, nice. loving that bike at the moment uh it got a brief mention in my top 10 uh products i haven't had it long enough to really say one of my top 10 things from this year but uh yeah like at the weekend i was out uh not last weekend but the weekend before i was out two days uh one day with the group ride and was on the the rave with a set of road a wheels with a set of road tires next day i was wrapping up on the cyclocross course with with the tires that came on it and yeah that that to me at the moment is a really fun bike you can kind of you know it's a it's a very um aggressive geometry on a very sort of racy setup very close to sort of well it's it's a gravel racing bike rather than a gravel touring bike is probably the best way of saying it uh, and that's you know it can kind of get very fun quite quickly when you when you do go off-road especially like the cyclocross course and that and yeah that that's putting a smile on my face every time i get out on it at the moment interesting what are the stock tires the stock tires are the Vittorio, or Vittoria, oh, the name escapes me now. Um, what width are they though? They're 38. Gotcha. Okay. A Torino maybe. Yes. Torino, uh, Torino yeah. dries, which, gotcha. uh, yep. yeah, maybe not the best tire for Ireland, but it actually just makes it all the more fun. There has been mm. a lot of sideways action. 
And nice. What's which, the tire clearance like around around that tire? Is it the tire point? clearance is pretty? If I remember right now, it's pretty good. Uh, I would need to double check what the official clearance is, but uh, you could certainly go a little bit bigger than that again. Um, but um, yeah, as I say, the bike kind of makes me feel like a bit of a hero. I dare say, if we got it on video, it wouldn't look as good as it feels. But it uh, <laughs> it certainly it certainly has me feeling like a, a Vanderpool or something like that. Yeah. Right. Okay. It goes. <clears throat> it goes definitely. Unlike the what bike. Unlike the Watt bike, which <laughs> is very much uh, stationary. All right. Well, I think that uh, brings us to a wrap on this week's Cycling Tips Nerd Alert episode. Uh, you've probably noticed we don't have ads or sponsors on this podcast, and that's actually by design to, because it gives us freedom to talk absolute crap. I'd like to thank the support of our Velo Club members and subscribers for making this podcast possible. And if you haven't already, please do consider subscribing. While I'm at it, if you like the Nerd Alert podcast, then tell your friends or write us a review, which will help complete strangers to you find us. And James Wong will return as your host next week. That's at least assuming he doesn't find Bigfoot. Thanks all. Cheers. Cheers.